So when you're relying on a player to say, yes, coach, I feel fine. I want to get back in the game. That's not looking at the brain and asking the brain, are you okay? Have you achieved a, a sense of stability and equilibrium after this trauma? Um, so really the challenge is a kind of a lack of tools that are able to detect when a, a concussion has occurred or even a subconcussive impact, um, which is basically a step below a concussion where the brain is shaken, but not mm -hmm. so violently that damage to brain cells is severe enough to cause symptoms. This is episode 117 of the Neuro Experience podcast. I'm Louisa. I'm your host. Football isn't just a contact sport. It's a dangerous game of massive bodies colliding into one another. And while it may seem obvious that this sport can do extraordinary da damage to brains and bodies, it's taken far too long for the NFL, the medical community, and football fans to fully reckon with this. At NeuroAthletics, we work with two types of markets, CTE and Alzheimer's dementia. And we've learned so much in terms of research. We've learned as a society also, a tremendous amount about concussions and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is a degenerative brain condition believed to be caused by repeated hits to the head. A lot of information has been released since the first former NFL was diagnosed with CTE in the early 2000s. Concern around the issue has only grown now that more than 100 former NFL players have received a post-mortem diagnosis of CTE, and new research is finding that youth football may be a risk factor for CTE down the line. On the episode today, we're speaking with Morgan Ingmanson, who is the Director of Medical Affairs at Evoke Neuroscience. She's the leading scientist in computational EEG neuroimaging, providing expert consultations to assist physicians in using electrophysiology biomarkers to diagnose cognitive disorders such as mild cognitive impairment, dementia, and pseudodementia. If you're out there listening to this and you play football, you're really going to love this episode. Whether you're in Australia playing AFL, rugby league, or in America playing the NFL, or even if you're just a keen advocate of the sport, I'm sure you've heard of Aaron Hernandez, you've seen his documentary, and you've grown a lot of concern. We get dozens and dozens and dozens of emails via the website and at NeuroAthletics from partners of NFL players, from concerned parents, and everybody just wants to know what's up. And that's what you're going to find out in this episode. Morgan and I take a deep dive into what is a concussion, what is a TBI, and how do you diagnose them? What's the difference between a concussion and a CTE? There's so much unknown, and we're going to dig into it with this episode. So it's going to be a very exciting episode. Um, I urge you all, if you find value in this episode, please pass it along to somebody who may be interested. If you know somebody who is involved in any contact sport, albeit boxing, NFL, AFL, rugby league, absolutely anything, pass along to them. They would love to know more about how to keep their brains healthy, not just for the now, but for their future. Also, if you love the episode and you love the podcast, please go through and rate it. Rate us on Apple iTunes by going and putting a review and um, putting a, a, your star rating and also tag your Instagram name so we know who you are, so we can connect in the community. Let's get into the episode. 
neuroscience, neurology, and beyond. Learn everything you need to know from the best physicians and experts in the world. The Neuro Experience Podcast is a platform to help you understand what the brain is and how it shapes every part of our lives. Every episode comes to you from highly credible sources. I'm Louisa Nicola, medical neuroscientist from Australia living in New York City. Come and take a neuro experience with me. Well, thanks so much for having me, Louisa. It's such a pleasure. Um, my name is Morgan Ingmanson. I'm the director of medical affairs for a company called Evoke Neuroscience. And I've got my PhD in anatomy and neurobiology. So super excited to be talking with you today about brain health and concussions, TBI, CTE, all of that, um, especially as it relates to athletics. Um, I was a collegiate athlete, but not in any type of contact sport. I was a swimmer, um, but I have known a lot of uh, good friends who are athletes um, who played football and hockey, and um, certainly a very relevant conversation to be having uh, in light of kind of a growing awareness around brain health and, of course, our, our love for our sports, especially NFL football, um, but, you know, uh, this growing awareness of how can we be protecting our brain health for longevity, not only in our sport, but in our life, um, because chances are we're, we're going to step away from sports at some point and we want to be able to maintain a healthy lifestyle after that. Yeah, there's such a... I mean, the word CTE and the word concussion is getting a lot of hype in the media right now. Obviously, with the, I think, I think it started to grow. I think a lot of people started to become aware of concussions when the Aaron Hernandez documentary came out. I think it was around November mm-hmm. last year, and a lot of people started to. I saw it, it was going wild. You know, we had a, I think the first introduction to this whole notion of concussions in the NFL became apparent um, in the world when that movie with Will Smith came out concussion you know people were like oh my gosh is this what really happens and no one really knew the the consequences of just taking one blow to the head and I think now everyone's really concerned and I've been following the statistics of how many people like how many mothers are enrolling their kids in uh, NFL and in sports and a lot of mothers now are like we've seen a dramatic decline because we're becoming more aware Mm. of what concussions are so from your perspective can we take a helicopter view and can you just tell us what a, a concussion is or you know a CTE is? A concussion is probably what people are most familiar with. Um, Basically, it's just a blow to the head. And to be labeled a concussion, it means that you have to have experienced symptoms for any amount of time. So it could be really temporary, and that would be kind of a mild concussion, or it can be severe and actually cause an extended period of unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's important to know that you don't have to be unconscious in order to have experienced a concussion. So even if you're experiencing nausea or dizziness or um, problem with vision, that those are all signs and symptoms of a concussion. Interesting. Now, when we talk about CTE, that's a little bit different. CTE is actually a, a progressive degenerative disease that causes dementia and depression. And it's experienced particularly in athletes who experience a lot of repetitive brain trauma. Um, So it's kind of related to concussions, but it's really a disorder that can present years or even decades after an athlete has already um, taken their leave from the field. Mm. So you're telling me that, okay, so first and foremost, you you mentioned that 
when you have a concussion, you don't have to be completely unconscious. So you're saying that in a game, for example, even if it's if it's in boxing, if it's in NFL, someone can have a concussion, but they can get up and then just resume to normal activity straight after? They can. And that's actually one of the really scary things about concussions and TBIs. Mild TBI is the hardest kind of traumatic brain A4 physicians to recognize and diagnose and it's really hard to keep our athletes out of the field or out of the game or out of the ring um, in enough time for their brain to heal. What happens usually is kind of a false sense of recovery where the, the symptoms will resolve and, and maybe the, the player doesn't even want to acknowledge that there are symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they go back in the game, they continue playing or fighting and their brain injury hasn't resolved. And so now they're at a really vulnerable state where the brain can get hit again and cause really catastrophic effects, um, including death, which Mm. is absolutely terrifying. So it's this false sense of recovery um, that, that proves very challenging and dangerous. So this false sense of recovery, is this, now where's the problem? Because is it, I mean, from my perspective, and we can go into the helmets as well later on, um, but so is it about the concussion protocol? Because if we can't really diagnose a concussion straight away on the field um, and then, you know, you know, one of the players comes off, they've taken a blow to the head, they're kind of mildly unconscious, but they're okay, they're going to go back onto the field, and then they they receive another blow to the head. Isn't that just affecting them more? Where's the the disconnect? Is Is it lying in the fact that we don't have a proper concussion protocol, or is it just the fact that we're just too new to this phase, we have no proper equipment to actually diagnose a CT or concussion on the field? To me, it, the problem, the disconnect lies in diagnosis and really evaluating the status of the brain, right? Because this is, we're talking concussion, we're talking CTE, we're talking everything about the brain. This is neuroscience through and through. So when you're relying on a player to say, yes, coach, I feel fine, I want to get back in the game, that's not looking at the brain and asking the brain, are you okay? Have you achieved a a sense of stability and equilibrium after this trauma? Um, So really the challenge is kind of a lack of tools that are able to detect when a a concussion has occurred or even a subconcussive impact, um, which is basically a step below a concussion where the brain is shaken but not so violently that damage to brain cells is severe enough to cause symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, the, the brain has experienced a, a trauma and, um, you know, this repetitive damage is certainly a problem. So, so the challenge lies in recognizing and diagnosing a concussion, waiting to see if the brain itself has recovered as opposed to relying on the player to, be honest and forthcoming in symptoms that they may or may not be experiencing um, and, you know, kind of avoiding the temptation of false recovery where you're asymptomatic, your symptoms have all gone away, but the brain injury has yet to resolve. Yeah, that's really interesting. I just want to make it clear just for the audience, um, CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. TBI is traumatic brain injury and obviously concussion just for the, the people who didn't know what we we're talking about. These are so interesting. So what's, 
With what you do and where you lie, and obviously with Evoke Neuroscience, can you talk a bit about what you do there and what the what's the equipment you use, the software, and can it be used to diagnose um, a, a concussion? Yeah, so at Evoke Neuroscience, we uh, make a medical device that relies on EEG technology. So EEG is an electroencephalogram, and basically it's looking at the spontaneous electrical activity that the brain generates all the time. Um, So it's not putting electricity into the brain, it's just measuring um, with basically little tiny microphones the electricity that's being produced. And we can, in this way, look at the health of the brain um, kind of before a, a traumatic brain injury event and afterward and see if, you know, has the brain recovered? Is it doing okay? We can look at something called event-related potentials, which is particularly important when we're talking about this kind of TBI space or working with um, athletes. Mm-hmm. And event-related potentials basically measure brain processing speed and brain processing efficiency. Um, it's a super sensitive metric that's going to detect uh, cognitive deficits associated with even mild, mild injuries, uh, which is great because we need to make sure that the brain is in a healthy enough state to regain um, kind of access to the, the sport. So what you're saying is we can probably, we, we can put this EEG on, okay, and we can measure, you know, brain processing speed and we can pick up on what we call biomarkers of a CTE and we can say potentially um, it looks like this man has had um, a concussion. He may, it's probably not in his best interest to go on the field again. Is this correct? Yeah, well, sort of. So um, definitely yes when it comes to a concussion and even subconcussive impacts. CTE is a little bit more challenging. And usually when we're talking about diagnosing CTE, we're talking about players that aren't playing anymore, right? CTE usually starts uh, in the mid-40s and then will progress after that. So it's, it's our pro athletes that hung up their hat a long time ago, uh, mm-hmm. but kind of the residual effects of these routine impacts to the heads, these routine blows um, that, that are kind of catching up to them comes to diagnosing CTE, there's a little bit of debate going on. I mean, globally, we're, we're still a ways away from concrete criteria for CTE. Um, right now, the only way to officially diagnose it, diagnose it is with a postmortem neuropathological analysis, basically just looking at the brain tissue during autopsy, mm. uh, which is why we hear so often when, when NFL players um, are experiencing CTE-like symptoms and they end up passing away, oftentimes by suicide, um, they will dedicate their brain to science. They want to uh, advance the field for CTE research uh, mm-hmm. just because we, we don't have a kind of concrete set of a consensus of what CTE even looks like. Uh, we don't have any official way to diagnose it in a living subject. And I mean, that's including all of the known neuroimaging tools, not just EEG, but MRI, CT, uh, basically anything under the sun, we we still haven't figured it out. And we're probably still five or 10 years away from that. Oh, that's that's really scary because what we're saying is pretty much there is no way to protect your brain from from developing this. I, I mean, is it 
is it true that if you get, let's just say um, someone does, you know, two to six years in the NFL and they get repeated um, blows to the head, will they, will they end up with CTE or will they, or may, they may not? Is it like a, is it a definite no, thing? No, they might not. Okay. They're, it's definitely not a definite thing. Um, but but we know that there are are risk factors that contribute to the development of CTE later on down the road. So obviously, um, a lot of, uh, blunt force, physical trauma to the brain that can include blast exposure. So we're talking CTE. We're not just talking about athletes. We can talk, be talking about military veterans here too. Um, we know that kind of a, a decreased cognitive or neuronal reserve is related to the development of CTE. And, you know, that relates to age as well. Our our cognitive reserve declines as we age. And so if you're experiencing a lot of traumatic brain injuries or concussions at an older age, that's contributing risk factor. Um, Mm. Likewise, if you are exposed to um, a lot of head uh, trauma concussions at a young age, that's going to deplete your neuronal reserve more quickly. Um, A study came out back in 2018, published in the Annals of Neurology, and it basically showed that age of exposure before 12 years old predicted earlier onset of CTE symptoms um, to the point where one year younger um, of playing tackle football predicted CTE symptom onset by two and a half years earlier. (gasps) Now, this is that because the brain hasn't with, developed properly, like until a certain age? Is that what that's about? It's likely because neuronal reserves are kind of eaten up more quickly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of putting the brain through that, that trial and trauma earlier um, means that it's just not going to last as long as it would have if you had kind of uh, introduce that tackle football play later on. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I know that um, when you look at these studies and, and right now, especially look, uh, we're having it, it's not as present in Australia. And this is just because we've got a lower population. There's a different type. We don't have NFL, but we have rugby league. And there's a lot of things on the, the news lately, even last night that suggests, um, you know, some of the problems with these players, with these rugby league players, um, include excessive um, executive dysfunction. They've got poor attention, poor memory, PTSD, depression, um, sleep disturbances, and a lot of them are becoming violent. And I'm really interested to know, and this is um, asking your opinion on this as well, where is the where is the connection between blows to the head, concussion, CTE, and aggressiveness and anger? Well, CTE symptoms are are really broad. I mean, everything you've just described falls into the category of CTE symptoms. Um, And really, I like to think about it in kind of four different domains. So um, it affects the way somebody thinks. So problems with memory and problem solving and sort of what you would think of as like a classical dementia. Mm-hmm. It also is going to affect how people feel. So changes into motion, um, depression, hopelessness, anxiety, um, suicidality, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's going to change how people move. So problems with coordination, greater risk of falling and tremors, almost like Parkinsonian. 
Yes. And then it is going to change how people act with problems with behavior. We're talking anger and impulsivity, a tendency toward rage and violence. Um, and that's really what tends to set CTE apart from other types of dementia, which really um, kind of live in more of the memory and problem solving reign, um, memory and problem solving world. Um, CTE affects so heavily uh, behavior and really changes a person's personality um, as a result of the disease. What I find so absolutely interesting about this, and this is um, as soon as I started to connect with Evoke Neuroscience, this is only when I I really started to see the similarities between um, Alzheimer's dementia and CTE because like Alzheimer's, CTE is characterized by tangles of an abnormal form of protein, which is tau in the brain. But I mean, I I think it's, uh, and you can correct me on this, unlike Alzheimer's, these tangles appear only around the small blood vessels. Like there is a very big similarity between CTE and Alzheimer's disease, correct? There, there is, um, but pretty distinct when you get down to the neuropathology of it, okay. um, which really helps to kind of distinguish and do a differential diagnosis. But of course, that's not available until you're doing a, a postmortem examination. So mm. not all that helpful when you know, you've got a patient coming into a, a doctor's office that needs help now. Um, and is experiencing these type of symptoms, which can be colluded because they are, they're so overlapping. Um, and that's when it really is helpful to look at the way the brain functions and not just taking a picture of the brain like we would do with an MRI or a CT, but looking at basically um, neural network connectivity and function. And um, there are distinct patterns that can help differentiate something like a post-concussive syndrome versus uh, cut Alzheimer's disease. Okay, so let's, let's take a back seat and have a look at um, from an athlete perspective. And, you know, I get a lot of people writing into me. It's a, a, generally a lot of partners. A lot of women know, um, write in and say, I've noticed this with my boyfriend who's been playing in the, the NFL for six years and I think he's got a concussion or I think he's got CTE. Um, what can they do? Like what's, you mentioned before biomarkers. Uh, What's a biomarker? What are some of the biomarkers of CTE and how can somebody go about actually, you know, coming to a diagnosis for themselves? Yeah. So, I mean, the good news is if somebody is writing in and it is a partner um, and they've noticed the change, chances are the the patient or the athlete is relatively early on in the progression of whatever disease state is occurring. Um, And the earlier you can get to see a a doctor to get a diagnosis and to get treatment, the much better off you're going to be. So so that's a good news. Mm -hmm. Um, The other good news is um, a CTE is so heavily feared right now, especially if you you are a player or have a loved one that's a player in the NFL. It's, It's definitely the big, bad, scary out there. Um, But there's kind of a stepwise progression to getting to CTE, um, right? There's post-concussion syndrome, there's chronic neurocognitive impairment, and these all kind of have similar symptoms and lead up to CTE. Now, post-concussion syndrome can be long-lasting. 
right? This basically, it means that you're experiencing symptoms related to a concussion, including behavioral changes um, that can persist months or years or longer after a concussion. It's basically like the brain just hasn't uh, spontaneously recovered like it normally would. And you're stuck in this kind of chronic state of feeling concussion symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the good news with that is um, doing an EEG, uh, like with the device Evoke Neuroscience makes, is um, helpful to kind of detecting that saying, no, you're not actually clinically depressed. You have post-concussion syndrome and here's how we're going to treat it. And we caught it early before it kind of progress to something more severe. Um, but generally when, I mean, it's the brain and it's, it's can be really difficult to treat these types of disorders. Um, yeah. really it's best treated with a multidisciplinary approach. So if you're, if you're an athlete or if you're a loved one, um, you need to look for a specialist in concussion. You want somebody that is fellowship trained in sports medicine, um, with, you know, background in concussion and post-concussion syndromes. And chances are you're going to be working with a team of a lot of different specialists, yeah. right? Physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, neuropsychology. Um, all of these are going to be members of your treatment team because it's not something we can just pop a pill for and be okay. The brain is such an... <laughs> That's what everyone's looking for. <laughs> touchy. Yeah. Everybody wants the easy solution. And unfortunately... When it comes to matters of the brain, there's really not an easy solution. Mm. Um, but the good news is sometimes just lifestyle interventions can make a difference as well. So like things you can do on your own. Um, I love that. You know, just um, going off track a bit, I was interviewing um, a very well-known um, neurologist in upstate New York and, and we did it in person. He came into the studio and he's absolutely brilliant. He's got around three or four... Um, best-selling books. And he said, uh, even, you know, he's in his late sixties as well. He's been doing this for so long. And he said, he still doesn't know anything about the brain. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, he said, listen, he goes, it's so, it's so underdiscovered right now. You just, there's just so much to it. And he was, um, he dropped his ego and he said, and I still probably don't even know even 10% of it. And that made me so excited because I'm like, wow, some of the best neurosurgeons, neurologists in the world still don't know that much about the brain. And it's exciting. And I wish, you know, uh, I wish I could see into the future, into, you know, 200 years from now to what we've developed. Um, but okay, so I want to just focus on, because I'm so excited. I'm getting really pumped up because you, you said this test, okay, this Evox test um, with Evoke Neuroscience, what does it give you? What, what's the printout? Like, what's the report give you? And what can a player do once they've had this test? What does it determine? So, basically, um, it's a computational EEG, which is very different from a standard EEG. Um, okay. Usually, when I say the word EEG, people think, well, I'm, I'm don't have epilepsy. I'm not having seizures. This is yes. not relevant for me. Um, but computational EEG is a lot different. So instead of, um, kind of a visual evaluation of the squiggly lines, mm. we're using computers and algorithms to derive objective numbers from your EEG scan. And we can do database comparisons of how your brain looks compared to uh, what, what it should be looking like. You know, are you maintaining your physiological brain health or has it 
you know, experiencing some type of dysfunction and where is that dysfunction occurring and how does that explain symptoms and how can we use that to help treat? Um, so from the patient's perspective, really, you're not getting much back because it's, it's truly a, a medical test, right? So it's really geared toward the physician to use as a tool um, to open up the black box and take a look at the brain itself which is hard to do for most physicians, right? Unless you're a neurologist and you have access to an MRI at your disposal and you're familiar with doing functional MRI. Um, otherwise, you're, chances are you're a physician that doesn't have the ability to do any type of brain evaluation. Um, so this test gives you that ability. It's doing a brain evaluation right in your office um, you don't have to refer out. It's easy on the patient. They don't have to sit in a, a big, scary box that makes a lot of loud noises. Yeah. Um, and it's quick and easy. And it's it's giving you these objective brain biomarkers that are relevant for a lot of different disease states. So you can you can take an athlete that is maybe going through a career transition and is experiencing signs of depression, anxiety, and mood changes and um, maybe some memory problems. And, you know, the question is, well, are you just having a hard time because you're in this post-career transition and you're down about that? Or are you experiencing, um, you know, truly like post-concussive syndrome and we need to, to treat that? Or is there something else going on? Um, mm. The good news is all of these brain-based biomarkers are really sensitive. They're going to pick up something if it's there and they're going to help you figure out what exactly has gone wrong on a biological basis, according to the brain, not just according to the person saying, oh, doc, I have this wrong with me. We got to, you know, do this. Yeah, I really love that because you, you mentioned localizing dysfunction. So somebody could come in and maybe have um, impaired speech and they don't know why you could, you know, stick them with the EEG, do the, um, do the test and it could find like a dysfunction in their temporal lobe on the left side of the brain. And you could say, well, this is maybe indicative of why you've got speech problems. So that's really interesting and that's so exciting because this is new, it's innovative, it's um, very scientific and it's true and it gives you raw data and then it's quick and easy. Somebody can go into their physician's office, whether it's family medicine, neurology office, they can get this test done. Um, but the beauty lies, it's not the test itself, the beauty lies in the awesome report that, you, that it gives you. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, it also gives you, uh, head maps like QEEGs, correct? Correct. Yeah. So computational EEG is kind of just another uh, word for QEEG. Q. Okay. Um, and uh, which is quantitative EEG. Yeah. And yeah, basically, it's you know our the device that Evoke Neuroscience makes. It's not really any new science, which is kind of the funny thing about it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, EEG and event-related potentials have been used for decades to help detect and characterize dysfunction of the brain. Mm. Um, I mean, specifically with regard to brain injuries, I know it's been used since the early 1980s. Mm. Um, and the, the challenge really of why it's not more widespread was originally because we didn't have the computing power to make it accessible to your standard physician. Um, now we do, right? Advances in computing has made it really easy for us to package it all up in a, a computer, you know, make it portable, send it on your way, and use all these sophisticated algorithms and processing to generate this human-readable report. 
Now the problem has become uh, really education about it. I was uh, just in a a subcommittee meeting on EEG earlier this morning, and we were discussing how, you know, it's, it's a challenge to get this integrated because um, when you look at where our doctors are coming from, it starts in medical school. Year one and year two, they spend like one day on the brain and they don't talk about EEG, even though it's such a valuable tool. It's really stuck in this like decades old way of thinking of that it's inaccessible. Um, even on the board exam, there is no questions on electrophysiology or neurophysiology, which yeah. absolutely blows my mind because it is such an easy and accessible tool that honestly should be routine, especially if you're a professional athlete, this should be a routine thing you're doing because you got to think long-term, right? I know everybody wants to, to give it their all for this, this play, this game, this season, this year, but what comes after that, right? You're going to go to the off season and you want to live a happy and healthy life. After you retire, you want to live a long life and and not kind of experience these behavioral and cognitive changes as a result to, to your past athletic life. Yeah. Um, so this should be something that we're doing routinely, um, not necessarily after every game, certainly after every uh, concussive event, but after every season, even if you're somebody that hasn't seen a lot of playtime, you can experience concussions and subconcussive impacts when you're sitting on, on the bench or just in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, even if you're not an athlete as well, just brain health as a whole um, needs to be something that we're checking routinely. Yes. And that's exactly what... Um what we're trying to get out to the body, you know, brain health. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that even on the board exam, there is no, they don't focus on it a lot. And that brings me to my next question. When you look at all the physicians at the um, NFL, if you look at all the, all the teams, you look at all the physicians, they're all sports med, there's no neurologist really in there. And that to me is really interesting. Uh, I don't know what your take is on it, but it's like, why are we not? <laughs> Maybe it's a very controversial topic. I get it. But why with something that's generating um, billions of dollars, I must say, uh, per annum, why have they not invested in something, you know, tools like this where they can say, we have state-of-the-art uh, testing equipment and it's also a requirement with the NFL. Like, So we make sure that our players, who we're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to each year, we're making sure that their brain health is just as important as their physical health. Yeah, I think um, certainly a controversial topic. And I'm of the opinion that, you know, the risk is doing this type of brain assessment and finding that the player isn't ready to go back to play. They're going to have to sit out the next game and you know the, the league not wanting to withhold that player from playing the next game, which is terrible that the priority tends to be um, to getting them back to play as opposed to uh, protecting their health. Um, so honestly, I don't, I don't think the change is going to come until there's enough pressure on the league to say that, you know, yes, we love football. Yes, we want to see our favorite players absolutely crushing it. 
Um, but we want to see them crushing it for a long time. So we need to value their health. We need to evaluate their brain health objectively. We can't just rely on them to say, you know, yes, I'm good. I'm, I'm back. I have no symptoms. Um, you know, we, we need to take a real objective look at how the brain is functioning and make sure that they're going to be playing for seasons to come. Mm. Wow, this is yeah. It's definitely they were going to have to place a lot of a lot of pressure on them, and I think it's gonna, I know it's going to be a lot of pressure. <laughs> a lot of which pressure. Is definitely a hard beast to tackle, but you know the the tools are there, the resources are there. It's not like we have to reinvent the wheel or invent anything new. It's mm-hmm. out there. It's available. Um, so it's honestly just calling out the responsibility of uh, the decision makers in the league to say like hey, you know, if you want to get ahead of this CTE problem, all of this negative attention that the NFL is receiving right now, this is an easy way to do it. You know, bring on some team neurologists, uh, start using objective tests that that don't rely on um, the player to put in a lot of effort. You know, because that's the other problem too, right? Sometimes players get so caught up in the game um, as you mentioned earlier, like you can have a concussion and keep playing and, yeah. you know, just power through. And when it comes to the brain, that is absolutely the opposite of what you should do. Um, but that doesn't mean that players are going to follow that type of thought and thinking. Mm. So really, you need to use a test that isn't relying on them to, to give it their best. We don't want them to be able to manipulate the scoring at all um, yeah. by kind of putting in a lower performance baseline so they can match it after a concussion. Mm. Right. So I'm not, the way to do that is to look at the brain. There are ways to do that. And so we need to be doing that. And uh, hopefully with enough pressure, the NFL will start to adapt, uh, adopt that way of thinking. Look, I, I have no doubt that we'll see, um, we'll definitely see an overlap in the coming years, especially with what you guys are doing in event neuroscience. I absolutely love this. Um, I think we can definitely do a, like a we can definitely talk for the next ten years and and do another even do another episode and talk about um, you know the testing with dementia. But as we wrap up, why don't you tell us how somebody can go and get um, one of these tests and where they can go and get it done? Yeah. So um, if a physician is interested, they can check out our website, which is evokeneuroscience.com. And, um, you know, learn more about how, how this medical device works, um, how it can fit into your practice. And if an athlete is listening or somebody that's just interested in, you know, the status of their own brain health, they can visit our patient website, which is evoxbrainmap.com, E-V-O-X, brainmap. And um, we've got a little physician finder on that website where you can type in your zip code and go to a doctor that has this device and you can get it done. Uh, it's covered by insurance, so it um, should be accessible. And hopefully we can get it to the point of being routine. Um, I, I personally do it on myself and on my family every year <laughs> just because I you know, want to make sure it's part of our annual family checkup and uh, <laughs> it's working well so far. I love that. Morgan, you've been absolutely phenomenal. I hope we can have you again on the podcast and thank you so much. I'm going to link everything at the end of this episode in the, um, and I'm going to cite everything. So thank you very much.